From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. In this episode of Fragmented, Don and I do one of our decompress sessions. We talk about a whole bunch of topics like testing, abstraction, inheritance, what's convenient, setting up projects. It's a fun episode that Don and I have been wanting to do for some time uh, where we just express our thoughts. So without further ado, listen on. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by American Express. I'm here to let you know that their Android team is hiring. If you love the idea of working in a team which values testability, customer experience, and proper Android UI design guideline support, all while getting things done right the first time, well then my friend, keep listening. The Android team at American Express prides themselves on shipping a high quality experience to end users, all while implementing the latest and greatest technologies at hand. For example, what about Kotlin? Yeah, they've been using it for two plus years. It's what we write in every single day. Design patterns? Yeah, they got you covered from UI patterns to typical Ginga 4 patterns. They've seen it all and they know when to use the right tool for the right job. Well, what about testing? Like integration, functional, and unit testing, you might be wondering. Ha, you're in luck again. They have a huge test suite that is run on every single PR to ensure that no regressions are hit. Now, those are going to be functional, integration, and unit tests, and so forth. And get this, you're given the time to write the test to ensure your changes don't break anything and ensure your changes work. Yes, you're given the time to write your test. Now, let me go off script here. How many companies are happy that you spend extra time writing tests? Well, probably very few. I can't count many on one hand that have been happy with me spending more time writing tests. They probably wanted to, or you probably wanted to, but you just needed to ship the code faster. Well, American Express, they know that getting things done right the first time matters, and testing is paramount, which means that quality is paramount. Now, maybe that sounds a bit scary because you've not written a ton of tests. Well, you're in luck then because the team at American Express is full of fantastic folks who will help mold you into becoming the best version of your current self when it comes to developing professional Android apps. And here's another great thing about American Express. They support you for being part of the community. Now, for example, do you want to speak at conferences? Totally, they support you. You want to build your writing skills on the tech blog at AmericanExpress.io? Go for it. Again, they support you. What about contributing to open source? Again, they support you. Start writing that open source. If you want to be part of the community in any way from speaking to coding to running a user group, etc., you guessed it, they'll support you. And finally, they get the whole work-life balance thing. It's not a myth. The benefits are great and you're not required to work 80-hour weeks. And well, to tell you the truth, that just makes life a lot easier. How can I say this with so much confidence? To tell you the truth, I've been working with American Express for over two years now, and I've seen this all firsthand. So if you're interested in coming to work alongside of me, follow the link in the show notes and be sure to tell them that I sent you. I hope to see you around. We should probably get to the show. <laughs> uh, we probably should. One of, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the whole, this is something I know that you you believe in too, is the the kiss principle versus keeping it dry. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm almost like to the point of being very aggressive about this principle. But like you should start off like what like like you should shoot your thoughts on this and then I'll try to like tell you what I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So that my whole thought process is is like you're writing code, you may write a feature and all of a sudden you you write this piece of code that's very similar to another piece of code, but it may have like this if statement or the switch statement in it that's just slightly different. Sure, 
I could extract that and then I could pass a variable in and then it would perform some different functions. Um, but, or it may be even complex, but at least I wouldn't replicate the code. Um, and a lot of times this will come up in code reviews, like, hey, you could actually refactor this to into a method and call that from both places. The problem I have with that is at some point, I know, or already at that point, the cognitive load of me keeping it dry in the future is gonna be the problem. Because when I come back to this in six months from now, am I going to be able to understand this in under 60 seconds? If no, I probably need to just repeat myself a little bit and make it easier to understand. And that's kind of my whole you know, decision tree behind all of this. Am I gonna understand this in six months in under 60 seconds? Yeah, I love that idea. For And I think we've maybe talked about this in a very early show, but it's so long back, so it's worth repeating. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 100% with you there. For me, it's almost to the point where like, I'm almost convinced that you never, like this whole like dry thing is, I'm not a big fan unless I hit three repetitions. So like my yeah. yardstick for this is, I don't mind copy pasting for three times. Beyond three times, I actually step back to think about maybe, hey, this could... Like, how big is this? Like, you know, how important is this logic? Like, is this logic critical enough where it shouldn't be duplicated? In that case, then I think about, like, maybe drawing. Also, like, you know, if we want to talk about specifics here, uh, inheritance, in my mind, is, like, all evil. Anyone who uses inheritance is, like, completely evil. Uh, obviously, you know, there are, like, good use cases for it. But, in like, it's almost like an immediate red flag. When I look at PRs, like, when I see inheritance, I was like, oh, wait a minute, do we really need this? Because that level of that kind of abstraction, in my mind, is dangerous because it removes the logic, especially like this whole base activity, base class thing. It I find it really frustrating because what happens is mm-hmm. this the magic in many cases, the magic is actually knowing what happens is helpful, right? Like and I know the funny parallel here is like, you know, Rails is famously like good for doing a lot of magic, right? But that yeah. also is like sometimes frustrating. I think the balance is like doing the magic for things that don't really matter for the functionality you're building, right? Like, yep. And that balance is a very tricky balance to find. And most people get it wrong, which is why I feel inheritance in like, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of inheritance. Composing is a better way around it. But even with composition, like, again, it's the same thing, right? Like, if it's only ever in two places, I just let it go, you know? Because here's the thing. If you're writing a test to cover your case, it'll get caught that way. If not, like, you know, the function, how how hard is this to fix? Like, you know, that kind of a problem where, like, the logic is different in one place and uh, it's different in one place versus another is really easy to discover and fix. So I'm actually okay with repeating myself again it's all in the interest of clarity right because it is so easy to look at what's happening quickly and get a better understanding of the overall feature than it is to go into this new file that does this thing differently and understanding what it is again like you rightly said the cognitive load right like understanding that is tricky and then like when you jump back to the place that you're in you've already lost a train of thought right yeah Uh, it's a simple thing but like yeah i'm very bullish on like nope repeat yourself copy paste that sucker i don't care like until we hit the third time and after the third time at that point like you know can you compose this logic again inheritance is if folks are looking for a specific takeaway from this like at least what's helped me a lot is that yardstick of three times like until three times i don't even think like it's almost i've put it like a rule to myself because it just makes it easy because the other problem is 
oh, do I need to abstract this? Do I not need to abstract this? That Making that decision also takes time and it's a additional cognitive load. So what I do is like, nope, if I haven't like repeated this code in like three times, whatever, just like copy paste the sucker, right? Yeah, you do have to also be aware of like the rippling effects it could have to your code base. So if you're in a few files and you're kind of doing the same thing, like you said, three times, four times or whatever, and you're, you decide, like, I'm going to go ahead and extract this into some other type of class to compose it with this other thing. Do you then have to realize, like, all right, well, now I'm going to need to be able to get a handle on that class. So I have some type of dependency I need to use. So I'm probably going to use dependency injection. Okay, am I going to use an interface for this so I can then mock it? Uh, or am I not going to use an interface? Or am I just going to new up an instance? Or what is the, you know, the, is that going to be a problem? Um, you have to think about all those different types of things as well. And if that's going to, if, if that's going to slow you down even more, which it probably will, do you need to, to understand is that, is that going to be worth it as well? So it's a case-by-case basis, but I like your idea of the, the three times yardstick. Quick follow-up on that. So what are your thoughts around like, you know, the whole interface versus implementation thing? Because you could, like you rightly said, inject in your dependency injection in Dagger, you can just like straight up call the implement, like inject the dependency, or like you, you can pass an interface and then have like different variants of those implementations, right? Are you good about always using an interface everywhere and then having implementations, or do you straight up just use implementations? For example... Say there was a class that you knew for the long, for for the for the foreseeable future you're only going to have one implementation of this class. Would you still tease an interface out of that, create an interface, and then use that, or would you just use the implementation? Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. And this is this has become kind of a uh, a heated debate within at least our community about <laughs> should you be creating these interfaces some will say hey it's class explosion meaning you have too many of these files lying around that they don't really offer any benefit um i on the other hand come from a background of you know statically typed languages before java and kotlin i did c sharp before that it was other languages um and one of the reasons that we always used an interface was to break the dependency and again, this is going to be an unpopular thing because, I mean, I, and I don't know why it's unpopular, but a lot of people hate mock objects. Um, I <laughs> understand that they hide certain things, but if you're using an external dependency uh, inside of your class, it could touch a database, it could go reach a network call, it could just be doing calculations. Uh, the benefit to me is that I can actually use an interface. I can then mock all the implementations that I want. I can then test all those given conditions under test, even in an integration test, if I'm mocking those correctly, uh, and provide all the value that I want. So personally, I prefer to create an interface for everything. However, uh, depends on the client that I'm at. Some clients are like, no, we don't need that. We'll just inject the the actual implementation. To me, impl- injecting the real implementation always feels dirty because I've been following you know, the, the kind of the words of, Martin Fowler, Uncle Bob, and and hmm. you know Michael Feathers, and all these folks for for over a decade now of of kind of what they've said, and some people don't really like to follow what they're doing. However, I feel it just offers a cleaner separation, and if I ever need to in the future change anything, I can't. Yes, does it off, does it per, uh, require that I create another file? Yeah, but at the same time, I really don't feel it's that big of a deal. Some folks do though. What about you? Interesting. Uh, it's funny again. Like I think we maybe it's like I come from like slightly different like school of thought. Uh, because for me, like the class explosion thing, I've been burnt by it so many times that I was like, nope, I don't want that ever. Right. So, 
So what's the problem with that though? What's the problem with classic split? What problems have you run into? Okay, so here's like, let, let me step back a little and because like I thought there were like some interesting points and maybe after I highlight some of those points, it'll like explain my reasoning as to why I like thinking like this, right? So you said one thing, right? Like, oh, some people like talk about like, oh, marking being like not a great thing, you know? That's like a big problem I have with a lot of these arguments. It's for some reason we've all, and like, you know, there are way smarter people than like us before who have explained the reasoning around these things. And like, I talk about why something is good or bad. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, I feel sometimes what happens is we just treat everything as gospel and we don't stop to think as to why something is wrong, right? Taking the example of what you said, like mocking. Well, mocking isn't always bad. Like mocking in some ways is the only way that you can enable proper testing, right? I think where it gets tricky is like, for example, a good rule with mocking is like, you should never mock anything in the class that you're testing itself. Agreed. Yeah, you need to mock dependency. So if you're injecting something into your class, okay, then you can mock that sucker, right? But if you have, you can't like mock a part of the class that you're already testing and then test that, right? So that's a good rule with mocking, right? And also the reason why mocking is bad is because like, you know, you want predictability in your tests. You never want to have a test pass and then have it fail in production because then you're losing faith with tests, right? So that is, I think, a fundamental principle with why mocking is bad, right? Now, taking that principle with your interface question, like, so that was like my question I keep asking, right? Like, why is it that we think that using this interface model and then injecting implementations is good? Fundamentally, the reason it was good was because it allows easier testing, right? Like, in my mind, that actually is, it breaks those dependencies, right? And why do you want to break those dependencies? Because you want to make testing easy. Mm -hmm. But in cases, and more often than not, when I have a single implementation, I'm not actually getting any benefit from making them interfaces, right? It it goes more towards the Yagni approach where, uh, and Yagni is like, you know, you ain't going to need it. If I'm never going to see another implementation of this like why do i care about an interface right like why not just inject the class because what do i lose by doing that right the thing i think it depends on doesn't it depend on what your class is doing though you mean like the thing that i'm creating an implementation for yeah yeah well it totally does right like again the thing is if it's like something at a higher layer where like you're trying to make sure that you use it across like different places, but you want the same interface like yeah sure in that case it makes sense but if there's only ever going to be one implementation if you think about it, right, aren't you going to, like, if I need to make a change, right, I have to change the interface, then I have to change the implementation, right? So if there's ever going to, if there's only ever going to be one implementation of this, isn't it kind of like additional useless boilerplate? Some could say that. I mean, I think it really depends on what the use case of that class is that you're implementing. Like, if that class to me is going to is gonna do any network or IO, like, to me, like, that, immediately there's, it's getting an interface. Now, there's going to be some people, like, and here's a little bit of the difference of why I say that is uh, I feel like I want to create that clean abstraction. Now, when I came, where I came from previously in a lot of .NET stuff, we didn't really have super powerful mocking frameworks at the time. Exactly, exactly. That's the other point, yeah. So so now, like, on... And this is kind of where I have a problem with some of the mocking frameworks. Like, to me, <laughs> like, I don't feel like I should be able to mock out a real class. I don't like doing that. That's exactly the question I was going to ask because I know the correct thing in quotes to always do is only ever mock an interface, right? Like, good yeah. programming practices say you should only mock an interface. But here's the thing. With Mockito, I can mock classes, And if I'm being careful about it, like, what's the problem with that? You know, other than obviously, like, you know, the alarms ringing. What is your problem with mocking a class? Other than obviously, like, you know, past good habit. When I 
if I'm just mocking a concrete class, I don't trust myself to know everything that's going on. I don't know the interactions between those inner working methods. If I call this one method, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. Maybe I've mocked this thing out and another method that gets called is going to depend on the result of that. And now something blows up in a weird way that would never really blow up. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of just, like you said, you're, you're mocking out part of the class that you're using. So I'm kind of putting myself in an inconsistent state as with an interface. If I mock out that class and I call it, it's going to, you know, it's going to return the default value or it's going to blow up because I didn't provide an implementation of, of whatever I'm calling. Then I know the entire state of where I'm, I'm working in. So that's why anytime when I got that concrete class and I see a mock, I'm just like, oh man, I just feel really dirty doing that. That's the problem that I have with, with mock frameworks. Got it. This is because there is a chance that maybe you're testing that same class, right? Because if it's purely yeah. a dependency, then who cares, right? Like it's almost the same thing. Yeah, it is almost the same thing. And it's to me, it just feels cleaner that I just have like, I'm just depending upon this little interface over here that <laughs> just does, that has these methods or whatever. And that's all it's going to do. I get to control it completely. I get to set up its entire state with a, a concrete class. I don't own that. I'm kind of just saying, hey, when you call this method, I expect you're going to return the value of two. Like, cool. Um, what happens to everything else in that class? Does that make everything blow up? Don't know. But you shouldn't care, right? Like, I mean, like that's part of the thing because I feel like one advantage is if it does blow up, that means you should, and it will blow up if you don't mark it, right? Like, because you'll get an exception saying, hey, this, they don't know what to do with this thing, uh, which then almost like highlights those dependencies. So like for me, my thing is like when I mark it right at the top, which is not to say you won't get this benefit with interfaces, again, just to be clear, but I'm just saying like marking that class will surface that, right? Like, because if you don't mark it, it will blow up, right? That one, yeah, and then the other problem that I also have um, with kind of mocking these um, concrete classes is a lot of times in the future, in my experience, I've I've noticed that as classes evolve, they start to take on other dependencies as well. And then what ends up happening is this class may take up on a certain dependency, and it may need to call in to something else. And hmm. this may be my own ignorance about how Makito works underneath the hood, which I don't claim to be an expert on it that if I'm all of a sudden a new dependency is added to that class that I'm mocking or whatever, does that need to be set up? And does the database need to be there? Does the file IO need to be there? Do I need to make sure that I mock that out? What other kinds of things do I need to worry about as well? Got it, got it. That makes sense. I mean, ideally, if our tests are being written correctly, that shouldn't be a problem. And it shouldn't actually, because mm-hmm. Makito will blow up only if it's trying to execute on a method that it doesn't know how, if it's not being mocked right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can straight up send a mock. And if you never use that mock, like there's no problem. Uh, you're right in that, like, obviously you have to like change the class. Cause like now if you add a new dependency, then like your tests need to know that a new, uh, a new parameter needs to be taken in as a dependency, but uh, you know, point taken. And I mean, to be clear, I'm not like against interfaces because they're like super valid use cases, right? Another super important case for interfaces is you know, if you have, if you don't want to expose, if you intentionally don't want to expose the implementation out, right? And you want to expose, like when you're writing APIs, a good practice is to just have an interface. And then, because that is by definition what an interface is, it's a contract, right? And if yep. all you care about is exposing that contract, then obviously the way to go is using interfaces. I'm not like, you know, philosophically against interfaces. It's just, I feel, uh, yeah, I, I think it's also interesting because it depends on your experience. Like I've been so badly burnt by class explosion that like that is like the number one root evil in my mind you know see i don't uh, that's right i'm 
I don't, I've had other people claim the same thing in my career, like class explosion. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what the problem is that they have. Like, I'm like, there's another file there. Okay. What's the problem? Like that to me, that's the, the, the process I have. Like I change a method. I go to the implementation. I add that parameter there too. I'm done. Like it's not, to me, it's not this humongous thing. I guess maybe an annoyance to a lot of people. I guess to me, it's never really bothered me. And I think it's just a difference in, you know, programming styles or something. Yeah, I'm beginning to like. Yeah, I'm I'm beginning to believe that too. I feel like it's maybe just like a programming style thing, you know, to to some extent. And then you have the tools nowadays where you can navigate to the implementation or to the definition or stuff like that fairly quickly. But you know, I kind of like to bring this full circle in. Like, I feel this way with interfaces only in statically typed languages. I do not feel this way in dynamic languages like Ruby, JavaScript, oh, Python. Like, like I don't feel that way at all because these languages, you know. Duck, duck typing is a thing, you know? Yeah, and like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I can, you know, if, you, if you're using Ruby or Rails or whatever, you can just easily just mock this class out, which is exactly what Makito is doing and that you're talking about. So it's like, it's just over in the statically typed world where I've kind of seen like, all right, been down the road of being burned by all these super tightly coupled, you know, just concrete classes, like almost like cemented together. And eventually over time, I've had to use Michael Feather's book of uh, working effectively with legacy code. Like, all right, I need to break this thing apart because I can't even get this under test. And at that point, that's when I'll usually say, all right, this is going to, I'm going to extract an interface and I'm going to inject an interface that's going to allow me to, to provide a shim so I can actually test this thing some way, you know. But again, Makito does solve a lot of those problems nowadays. But this kind of leads me to the next question that uh, that I that I wanted to bring up is uh, testing in general. I am starting to, not even starting, I have a, starting to have the the belief that the most important testing that you can do is functional testing and I'm placing less and less value on unit. <laughs> Let me try to explain my thoughts and you tell me if I'm thinking yep. the same lines as you are. For sure. Uh, because I, uh, so with functional testing, essentially what you mean is where like you have everything tested from top to bottom, right? Yep. Uh, so it's it's midway between like integrate, like the problem is integration and instrumentation is confused. Like because Android, like you can have unit tests that are instrumentation tests. Uh, but I guess like the idea is essentially you're testing features. You're not testing individual sort of like units is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's my general philosophy about that stuff, right? Wait, can you hold on? Maybe I heard you. Can you repeat that what you just said? Oh yeah, so so the idea is basically you're trying to test the outcome of what you've built, right? So you're testing the feature. You're not necessarily testing the individual components that make up the feature. Yeah, I'm just testing what the user is going to see. Got it. Oh, okay. So you're actually testing. Like in the end, all you care about is does activity have this view with this text. Exactly. Does the app do what I expect it to do? Right, right. So testing, all of us talk about testing being good, but like why is testing good, right? And like why do people want unit testing? For the longest time, I've felt that the reason I've, I'm a big proponent of like unit testing is because of the feedback loop being fast. That is the only reason. I don't have any philosophical sort of like, you know, architecture sort of benefits that I see. In an ideal world, if I could write my UI tests and they would run and give me a feed feedback loop of under a second, I would only write those tests. I wouldn't even mm -hmm. bother with unit tests. Because you know what? I think unit tests don't help in that case. Mm -hmm. The reason I, I like unit tests now is because that's the only test that gives me a faster feedback loop. So I'm almost shoehorning like my architecture to work in a way where 
all like a majority of my functionality is being tested through unit tests and I just have that final test to wire it up. But in an ideal world, if in an ideal world, if Espresso or Selenium or all these other crazy UI tests worked as fast uh, or like, you know, works sub-second like per test, I would totally only use them. I wouldn't even bother with unit tests because in the end, that's really what I care about. So I'm guessing that's similar to what you're talking about where like you prefer having more functional tests, but like, yeah, you should like maybe explain like if that's like along the same thinking that you had. Yeah, totally. The I see... Um... A, I want to agree with you that of uh, the speed in which unit tests can be written and executed is key. That's the reason why they're so popular, in my opinion. It's, it's just, they're just fast. It's just easy to do it. I still write the unit tests. I'm not saying I don't. If I'm writing some code that's inside of a model class that needs to perform some calculation or based upon some inputs, it's going to do something else. I will write a unit test for that because I want to make sure, that, hey, did I get that class correct? Good. I don't ever have to worry about it again because, A, I don't trust myself. But I think... Um, what I like to do is I like to think about the types of tests. So if you have your full functional test, which is think of it in a pyramid, the bottom layer is the um, is, is of the pyramid is going to be the functional test. That's going to be the, it, the reason it's at the bottom is because a it ha, it's the most useful. That's the largest. It's the most useful, but it also takes the most time. And from there you go to the integration uh, test, which is where you're testing the things interact between components takes a little bit less time but still it does take some time uh, and also takes more time to develop so that's also something to consider and then at the top you have the fast ones which are the unit tests like i'm just going to test this piece of code um and so that's kind of how i view the value of them um the the real issue that i have is a lot of and this is a you can find this on twitter or just google just search for titanic unit test and you're, and oh, you're gonna, yeah. have you seen the that meme. image? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I have this I have, meme. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically the picture of a Titanic sinking and it has like all these little circles around like, you know, the smokestack and like part of the, the ship and like 10, 15 of them. And it says, but I unit tested all these things. <laughs> basically meaning like, <laughs> yes, you may have unit tested like your presenter. You may have unit tested all these things that gave you the opportunity to perform unit tests, but you never actually tested if it worked. Um, and so that's kind of the big problem that I have. I find the value in the the function, the full functional test to be so much more valuable because at the end of the day, that's what the customer is going to see, like that we ship this and that's what it is. The problem though, like you said, is they are so darn slow oh, yeah. to execute and be to write. They take forever. And the other problem is anytime you change something on the UI, they're they're typically brittle. Like they'll break pretty quickly, um, which is a good thing because that means that they've broken. But if you have too many of them, you can spend yourself in, you know, text, you know, test fixing hell for the day, trying to fix tests all day. So um, it's, it's weird. Like I, I definitely see everything in this pyramid value where I want to make sure that my app is written accordingly. So I haven't found the proper percentages of like hey this is how many how much percent i think you should write in, in unit this is how much test you should write in functional and this is how much you should write in integration or whatever um, i think some folks at google have said here's the percentages that they believe um take it for what it is what i usually like to 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 see it is is like how many bugs are coming in? how many bugs are you finding that are in the ui um because too often more often than not, i see people say hey, hey we unit tested the presenter it's 110 percent unit tested it's good to go and then i'm like 
yeah, but did you even test if it was wired up to the view? Like, oh yeah, we never, we passed it into the view, but we never set it. Like, oh yeah, the whole page won't work then. (laughs) Who cares about your other 800 unit test? Like it's not even going to work. This MVI-ish pattern that I'm talking about, like another reason I like it is because what it does is it actually, I mean, again, this is, I I keep calling it MVI-ish because like it's similar, like it uses some of the concepts, but the idea is the same, right? Where in the end, the thing that comes out of your view model is a view state object. Uh, so I try to write all my tests as unit. Well, well, yeah, I mean, as like sort of like pure Java or pure Kotlin tests around mm-hmm. that. So I keep testing uh, the view state output uh, and the advantage there is like those are really fast and I can keep testing yeah. that, but that's not enough. I also make sure to write one of those integration tests. It just makes sure that the view state, like any, and this is any single view state. I don't care about all the different cases. I take just one example of one of those view states and I see after binding, I try to see if like, hey, is this like with Espresso, am I matching? So that's worked out really well for me now because then I still have to have one of these tests and those can run slow, but it's only a very dumb thing that's testing like, you know, the binding of the views. Mm-hmm. And then like, I, you know, I go whole hog and test like, you know, all like the different view state combinations. So uh, yep. it sort of like worked pretty well for me. Uh, but yeah. That's the other thing though, too, is like, if you look exactly what you're saying here, like we're, you're testing, we have the view layer at the top and then right underneath that is kind of where your looks to me, it seems like where you're, you're working right now. You're testing that layer just right below it to test that interaction. But as soon as we get into like to the real Android OS level stuff, like all hell breaks loose. Um, yeah, that is like, true. That is true. Yeah. Like, to be honest, like the Android team has done a lot of work to, to, to make testing better with Espresso and, and certain tools. But let's be completely honest here and that Espresso was bolted on afterwards. Like it, it's just a bolt on. It was, this was never developed to make testing easy. It was never that way. And testing in a hermetic environment, meaning that like if I repeat the test over and over, it's the same result. Um, it's not easy. And oh, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. this is really difficult to set up. And like they say like, well, you can do espresso test, but if I go to a new client or a new company or even a in- beginner intermediate developer, a lot of them have no clue how to set up these full end to end tests. And still a lot of folks still don't know how to do it. They may have their own testing server where all the test data is set up and you may have to set something up. Or if you're getting advanced, you're using something like mock web server or wire mock to set up all of your your mock, so you're not actually hitting the remote endpoint. You're executing the entire stack of your application from top to bottom in a, in a functional test. It's going through the views, the presenters, whatever, all the way through your service layers, and then it's going making a network call. And then what happens is maybe WireMock's intercepting that, sending you back the JSON that you expect. But to get to that point is a tremendous amount of work, and I don't want to discount that. Like I may feel that these are the most important tests, but they're also the most difficult to get to, and that goes for. Uh, a lot of languages. I was just recently doing some Rails and I needed to mock out a third-party endpoint and I had to you know, pull in another gem and like, okay, now I need to mock this and return this JSON. And it's it's difficult in a lot of systems, not just Android. So actually, I had some follow-up questions that I want to ask. So I haven't asked you in some time. So do you, like, is mock web server now like your preference? Like how do you handle that portion? And then I can tell you what I probably like use these days. Uh, lately, for a lot of the work that I've been doing, I have preferred mock web server. It's just kind of works it does fire up a little server inside of uh, your android application uh there are other, other ways you can do it you know if you go to mock out like another way i've seen it done that i've worked for me is mock out your actual uh kind of your oh you say your retrofit layer and then have it return an observable of whatever type you have that's also a very valid way to go about it what we do is at least 
I literally take a real response, a server JSON response, and I store it as a raw JSON file in my mm-hmm. tests folder. Yep. And I basically have a parser that basically goes through the parsing. So it, like I mock out the you know the retrofit at the a repository layer, and I say, hey, this is the, like take this raw JSON and like you know uh, you know uh, parse that into like JSON and send that as the response. Uh, to the like through the endpoint, and so like that's mm-hmm. what I've. So we don't use mock web server, but we use real JSON instances because what makes it easy is sometimes if you if you see like something weird happening like from the server side, if something's changed, all I do is I literally copy that like sample JSON, I like paste it here and just like run it through my tests, and uh, you know more often than not I tend to find interesting things, right? Like for example, if like something was non-nullable and it's being sent down as null, then like you know it's going to blow up and that kind of stuff. Yep. So I use that. With respect to, because I do know one thing that I found very interesting and like I can maybe throw this snippet in like if folks are interested, but recently like, you know, we ran into a bug where essentially what was happening is after much like with very difficult debugging, we found out that if your network request errors out the first time, but then passes the second time, it actually doesn't like update the UI output, right? And like this has Mm -hmm. like the, the, the real reason is like not that important here. But what I've done now is like in my test helpers, I actually have like this helper Rx thing which says succeed after n tries. So what I would do is I would I would execute this call and then say fail like you know fail the first three times, but on the fourth call succeed. And I run my tests with that to see if like you know it's sort of uh, resilient towards that errors. So I can I can it's a very simple like you know retry sort of. A snippet in Rx that I, you know, I can maybe throw a gist in, but I found that's also like in some ways it's helped with resilience, right? Like, so does my test work even after like doing something like this? So it's pretty cool way to do about what is it? Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way you're doing it with like mocking things out. You're actually doing it very close to how uh, wire mock works. Just you can use JSON results and have it serve those. So that's very interesting. Um, but to get going on that, if someone was listening right now and you mm-hmm. were to give them some advice, say, hey, uh, I am using RxJava to, uh, and Retrofit to return my, my observables or singled or whatever, what's the easiest way that you would tell them to get going if they have just, say they have one service interface that has you know, 10 calls in it, what would you tell them to do? Well, this, here's where it gets tricky, right? Like, uh, this is also one of the reasons I like Dagger, uh, you know, uh, apart from the other reasons I've started to not like Dagger as much. Uh, <laughs> So essentially what you do is, right, like you have a module that sends in like your repository, right? And I mock the repository. So I know if, say, there is like get usernames, you know, there's the, this is a method in my repository that returns an observable of, you know, the response to, yeah. that I have. Then essentially what I would do is at that layer, I would mock it out, right? So I okay. would, in this module, I would have a test module and I would say when the, rep- when the repository is asked for this thing, then, well, it wouldn't it's a little more intricate because like the repository is again a layer over like both your network and your database. But what I would do is like that layer, the network or the database layer, uh, the implementation, I would mock that portion out and I would say, hey, when you return an observable, like actually like succeed after, like I have this snippet that would say like, return this observable that succeeds after n tries, you know? Okay. So mm-hmm. then all you do is like you literally just, subs- like the code uh, from your production side shouldn't change. Like you literally... No. Same, you look at the same observable. Obviously, yep. this presumes that you're handling retrying, right? Which I think everyone should, because obviously, you know, when you're making a network request or you're doing anything, like things could, 
you know that's like the beauty of working in like a mobile ecosystem like things don't work sometimes you know network connectivity timeout exceptions like all this is like real and there's nothing you can do about it so this in many ways actually handles that right because so you would expect to work with an observable and an observable obviously is a stream of responses right so what i would do is i would error out the first three times but then i would make sure that it would succeed uh on the fourth try and then i would like that would be like the at the marked layer that is what i would return and so my ui should be able to handle that because that could be a real thing right you're but um just quick note too you're also using dagger one still right uh i'm using dagger one and dagger two but uh Shortly, we'll save that conversation for another day. Yeah, <laughs> that is yeah, that is like one of my other sort of like uh, uh, current pain points. Like we we are in the process of migrating. Uh, we ran into some hitches where, yeah, yeah, the person was migrating. It was is no longer with us. So that it's in this interim like sort of situation where we need to move. Uh, but yeah, no, I am evaluating. In all likelihood, I think we might be moving completely to Dagger two. But I will say this: I've been like, uh, I've been keeping an eye on like some others, especially after the conversation with Danny. Uh, I think we might still move towards Dagger two because it is such a good, robust tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am like keeping an eye. I think like my complete migration has slowed down because I'm also taking the time to now evaluate some of these other things like Coin and like you know. Uh, hey, should we move to coin? Like, you know, I, I don't know. So like, that's the evaluation process. But I think my gut is telling me eventually we'll move to maybe just like dagger two completely. Yeah, it's, I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people right now is just getting just getting started with this. Stuff. I mean, even if I think about a new project right now, like I get a little bit of anxiety. Like, cause I think I'm like, oh man, I got to set up this thing. I got to get this testing set up. I got like a ton of boilerplate I have to set up to just get to the point where I feel like I can be productive with a, a proper testing environment. Do you feel the same way too? Oh, absolutely. And like, that's like the main problem, right? Like writing additional tests is always easy, but I've noticed like this with the engineers, uh, almost everyone's like a little resistant to write UI tests from the get-go because mocking those modules requires like, you know, it isn't as easy. Again, like it is not to say that it's difficult. Once you have it all wired up, it's sort of okay. It's like more copy-pasting here and there. But it is still some cognitive load where you have to think about your modules. And then sometimes if you don't have your dependencies wired up, you can't override a module. Like you can only override a module once, at least like in Dagger 1. Dagger 2 works a little differently, I guess. So a lot of those things you have to keep in mind, right? And like that adds that cognitive load where they're like, ah, do I need to do all of this? Like, oh man, is there an easier way out? Like, can I like avoid having to write a UI test altogether here and like maybe like push something else? So definitely there's that additional sort of load in writing tests, you know? What about you? Yeah, that's the big, same thing. It's just, it's, Getting that first, like even just uh, yesterday, I was writing a, I wrote a functional test um, and I just was sitting down to write it and I kind of felt like this weight sitting on my shoulders. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, all right, I know I'm going to need to set up these mock responses. I know I'm going to need to set up this other, you know, this endpoint needs to be mocked out. I need to set up this other thing and I need to mock these things. And I knew it was going to be a good hour or so of work just to get to the point where I could actually write my test and run it. And that's what I was like, but at the same time, I know there's, to me, there's no other greater feeling when I run a test and I see it fail, I fix it and then I pass it. I'm a huge proponent of making it fail first because if I don't see a failing test first, I don't trust it. Right, right. So um, I'll write it to fail. Like I'll put some garbage in there, look for the word foo, which I don't ever expect to be on the screen. Then it fails. Okay, cool. Now let me see if I can find the word, um, et cetera. The, 
then at that point, once I get that first step of the test up and running, I feel like the momentum is already there. Even if I walk into another uh, activity class or test class for another activity or something like that, and the test is already built, then I know I say, hey, I can look at these other setup methods real quick, copy, paste, move, change a few things. Right. I'm off to the races and I'm running, you know. But the first one is always kind of like, oh, goodness, especially for, I mean, for a new project, for people who are just listening and they're, they're building an app out at a startup or they're just maybe you've had your app for a while and you want to get started with uh, these tests. It's it's going to be a process. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. And that was actually one of the things like when I used to join new teams, I was working in new apps where they would call me in for help. Like that was one of the things I used to do. I was uh, just setting up the espresso and like dependency injection layer is such a task in itself that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was like kind of that person who would like come and drop in and like help like add that in, you know, because that itself, it needs like one person's time, you know, it isn't as easy as just... Yeah, like, oh, yeah, this tool is available. Just start using it and, like, you know, in half a day already. Like, no, it, it requires some thought. And it's one of those things after, like, dependency injections there, after your initial test framework is set up and you've got the 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 boilerplate of all the, the basics done, once that's there, it feels so good because you know that it's there and then you can continue to build on top of it. It's just that initial outlay of effort up front that is the real bummer. Honestly, genuinely cannot think about doing ui tests today on android without something like dagger you know sure it's possible but it just seems like so incredibly difficult right like that that's and that's one of the reasons like you know we've been huge proponents of like dependency injection in the early days because without that i I don't even know how i would like you know go about testing like i wouldn't even like my first task would be like i don't think i can write tests without a proper dependency injection layer yeah i mean if i was to sit down today write a new brand new app say don we need to write a brand new android app uh, I would, as you said, I would probably go out and evaluate other options uh, because I've had so much time with Dagger for many years now. I'd probably go out and look at Coin and Codeine and say, all right, do these, are they going to solve my problems for testing and for my regular traditional dependency injection needs? If they are, I might roll with them to see how they work out, um, especially if it's I can get up and running with it quicker. So, but dependency injection uh, with these statically typed languages in these environments, totally needed, totally. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. All right, Don, I think it's time to wind this episode down. Totally. This was fun. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you, what's a good way to do it? Uh, the best way to reach out to me is going to be on Twitter, uh, and that's at Don Felker, or you can hit me up on Instagram at the same handle, Don Felker. What about you? I am Kaushik Gopal on Twitter and the same handle on Instagram. So, yeah, folks should feel free to follow us there. And, yeah, you can hear a lot about the other stuff that we're doing. Okay, Don, and there's also something that's been very interesting that we're doing on this site. So in case we've talked about how you can reach us, but there's like this new channel that I think we're going to like try. Can you tell folks what we're up to there? Yeah, we wanted to allow folks to kind of access fragmented from all different types of mediums. And one of the mediums that's very popular nowadays is YouTube. A lot of folks will kind of listen to podcasts on YouTube. Uh, that's what a lot of folks have been doing. So we decided to kind of join that group as well. So now uh, if you go to the link that's in the show notes here, we now have a fragmented podcast channel where every single one of our episodes is now up on YouTube. You can watch them live in there. You can actually, they actually have an animated like little audio, audiogram. Is that what they're called properly? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and you can actually take it and you know cast it to your, you know, your TV or if you're in your office, you can, uh, listen to us ramble on for hours and, and so forth. So um, if you'd like, go there and subscribe to the channel. We'll be uh, updating our episodes every week as they come out as well. So they'll be published to our YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do remember like a bunch of folks asking us some time back why we are not on YouTube. So sorry for 
yeah taking this long but we are here and like we're super excited about it so definitely subscribe there if you're interested to use this medium yeah one of the nice things i like about it too that you brought up was it if uh, there's something in a podcast that you want to share with someone, you can actually just get the link of that timestamp of where it's at, send that to somebody and they can just start listening to it right then and there. Yeah. And I know like Pocket Cast also does that with their share utility, but sometimes YouTube is just so convenient because like if you're listening at work or something and you have like YouTube running in the background, then uh, it's nice because you can, yeah, you can also like directly link to a specific timestamp uh, and it just starts playing from there. You know, all the goodies that you get typically with most YouTube videos. Totally, totally agree. Yep. Now you can feel free to leave comments there and uh, we will interact as, as we can. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you in the next episode. Once again, we'd like to thank American Express for sponsoring today's episode. If you're interested in joining one of the best Android teams out there, please follow the link in the show notes and go ahead and tell them that I sent you. Looking forward to hearing from you soon. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Falker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.